You have been made with a purpose and given specific gifts to accomplish your mission. This is Requip. Stay tuned to gain insights to prepare, equip, and empower you to do the work of ministry. Welcome back. So glad that you're with us. I'm excited about this study that we've been going through with leadership. And hey, here at Requip, we just want to welcome you. We are all about discipleship. We're all about that journey. So we want to provide you and give you the tools to help with training model and also tools to be more effective in making disciples or maybe helping you along the path as a disciple. So I want to encourage you to help us get the word out and so that make sure you get the latest podcast, go ahead and hit that subscribe button. I also want to let you know that we've been putting these podcasts, our YouTube page actually. So go ahead and over to my personal YouTube page. You'll see me there, Scott Schneiderman, and you can subscribe. Now that we're talking about discipleship, I want to make sure that you are aware if you haven't heard We've got a new discipleship curriculum that we've published, that we've put out there. You can go there on our website. It's Renew Discipleship Curriculum, 10-week study. It is a transformational study. I'm going to tell you that right now. You got to get it. It's going to help you. It's going to help you if you just go through it. It's also going to help you to make disciples. I mean, that's personally what I use. That's the tool that I use because I looked around. I looked out to various churches that I knew, and I know I'm sure there's people doing it, um, but the churches I reached out to that were within my network that I knew, no one was doing it. No one had a tool that could really help them. I mean, you would talk about discipleship, but they had no way to really measure or what they were doing or how they could transformationally take somebody through a process. And so that's what we did. We came up with renewed discipleship curriculum. So I hope that you find that valuable. And if on Amazon it is valuable to you, please give me that review there because that helps us out as well. We are continuing talking about unnaturally leading. We don't want to just come and do the same old type of leadership talk because So much of that you can take from the business world, and that's not bad, but I think there's something we can do more. I think God has called us that supernatural or unnaturally leading, something that goes beyond what you could normally do. And we're talking about a critical message today, and that is healing after a leadership failure. And I think this is so important because I believe God is raising up new leaders to take this church, his church, that Jesus is building into a new phase. I don't know exactly what that's gonna look like, but I keep getting this pressing in my spirit that there's gonna be some shifting because that's what happens. That's what God does whenever the culture shifts, whenever things shift in the world, God uses his church to impact that world. The church doesn't isolate, the church impacts the world. So something that is tough, it is leadership failures. Maybe you've gone through a leadership failure. Maybe there's something in your past, or maybe, I hate to say it, maybe there's something in your present that you just haven't been found out yet on. Maybe there's some hidden sins. I've heard it said this way, you're only as sick as your secrets. Maybe there's some things that are about to be exposed. I hope we can help you with that. I hope God can restore you and heal you 
Because God does two things. He either humbles you or he lets you be humiliated. Those are really the two options because he loves us that much. He wants us to be exposed either to him privately or we're gonna be exposed publicly, which by God's grace, it'll drive us to him privately because that's really where the healing is. Whatever it is, you know, if you've put your trust in Jesus, I believe you're somewhere along this pathway. You're a leader. Um, Maybe you don't see yourself as a leader, but as we've been saying, I believe God is calling all of us to some level of leadership because he's called all of us saints. He's called all of us ambassadors, and he's called all of us to make disciples. You can't do any of those things unless you see yourself as a leader. So you're somewhere on this pathway and I'm excited for you. And talking about leadership failure, you know, I'll tell you a story that I know. Um, I'll probably be pretty vague because it's sort of an ongoing thing and I don't want to um, harm anybody involved, but it's really difficult when you see somebody fail in leadership. And I don't mean they don't hit the metrics you want them to or they aren't as popular. I'm not talking about naturally leading. I'm talking about the supernatural part, the unnaturally leading, where you fail morally, where you um, don't trust your people and you withhold from them and you hinder their growth. I'm talking about that kind of thing. You know, that's the antithesis of what God has called us to. And it's a very tough thing. And depending on how close you are to the implosion, you're going to feel those ripples. And for many people, I know for me, for years later, like you're, it's always going to be something you're aware of, uh, by God's grace, something that you can heal from, but something that you're definitely going to be aware of. And I know for me, there's so many unanswered questions of the story that I know of people that went through a leadership challenge where their top leader just imploded and just changed drastically, or what I think probably what happened was just revealed. And um, what what happens is when you have to confront a leader that is off the rails, that is going off course, and you see them heading off course, they're on the train, they're flying down the road or down the track, and the bridge is out and you try to plead with them as much as possible, but it's the most difficult thing to say, I'm getting off the train. (laughs) I'm, I'm getting off the crazy train because I can't fake it with you anymore. I just can't go there anymore with you. And so I knew I was going into it and I knew it was gonna be a tough thing, but whenever you confront a leader, Um, you know that people are going to misunderstand you. And that just goes with being a leader in general. You know that you're going to be misunderstood. You try not to be. But when you're trying to protect the leader, the top leader, and you're trying to give them counsel the best that you can as a subordinate, it's a difficult thing, very difficult thing. And you know you're going to be seen as the villain, and it's tough. And years ago, I had a leader came out, and I had a leader he just had severe family trauma. That's it. Not not necessarily a fault, but just just trauma that was going on in the family that just needed to be addressed and there needed to be healing, there needed to be counseling, revealed some issues with the church and some things needed to be taken care of. So 
they could get to the healthy place in family and in leadership and in the church so we can lead people in this discipleship journey. But I just had to get off the crazy train. Just had to. When when a leader rebels against their spiritual authority, you got to get out of that situation because if not, you're an accomplice to rebellion and that never ends out well because God says that he placed all authority in place, all authority that exists, even secular authority. That's why we shouldn't rebel against secular authority. So how much more so in the church? He's made it so clear that he's set up that leadership. And, you know, when we went through the path of Matthew chapter 18, where Jesus lays out this path where you deal with it, the person individually, you go as a group, and if not, you know, a larger group. And then after that, you just got to let them go. And that's where we were in that final step. And I can still feel the room that we were in. It was a dark feeling. It was a heavy feeling. It was a painful feeling because you knew a spiritual, in a sense, it felt like a spiritual death was going to happen. And just that kind of feeling, if you know what I'm talking about. And this is hard. You know, I this is the hardest meeting I've ever been in my entire life. I've been in the combat zone. I've been in countless hard trainings, physically demanding, mentally demanding, several deployments, missing a lot of things with my kids and family, being away with the military when I was active duty in the Marine Corps. The church hurt is difficult. Church hurt is worse than all that. At least it was for me because it's spiritual. That's one of the things we have to get a grip with. When your leader fails, it's difficult because it's spiritual. It has an impact on the rest of the church. And the church is like a body. I mean, think if one part of your body has cancer. It's not one part of your body has cancer. You have cancer. If part of your body is in pain, it's not just, oh, it's just hurting over there. No, your body's in pain. And that's exactly how it is. And while I'm in that room, I'm feeling this defiant, oppressive spirit of rebellion and remembering back at a time when when I stood up and said, I don't think church funds should go in that direction. I, I'm just not going to be part of it. I was invited in the conversation. And I said, I'm not going to be a part of that. I don't agree with it. You asked for my opinion, and I'm telling you. And evil things were spoken, and I'm leaving it at that. Um, I wonder at many times if I if I should have stepped away at that point, uh, looking back. I didn't see it at the time. The, the glasses were still on. The lenses that I was viewing through were still there and, and uh, trying to be there for the right reasons as well. But it's really difficult to decipher until you get past that. So hopefully some of this is helping. I'm, I know I'm vague, um, but a lot of this is still ongoing and have to leave it at that. But now we're here a few months later. We're in this room. We're confronting and we're pleading with tears with our leader that we love, that we're, we're, they've cared for us. We're care for them and we're pouring our lives into them. And man, just nothing, just not receiving any, just bouncing off of them, everything. Somebody was pleading with them, just telling them their heart and she was crying, and this leader, I remember, just 
continue to badger her back and she's crying. She had to leave the room. I mean, it was horrible. It was a terrible thing. Church hurt is a difficult thing because you're dealing with your body because it's spiritual. And the most difficult thing is when a leader that we've literally helped this whole time in the most difficult time says, uh, we just don't trust you, which I know they, they do trust that we're gonna do a good job because we had been for months. But obviously the issue was they didn't trust their own leadership. They didn't trust that they could be out of the picture because it was about them. And that's something that's difficult. When you see a leadership fall, when you see a leader fall, it is so difficult. But we have to remember for our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against rulers and against authorities and against powers of this dark world and against spiritual forces of evil in heavenly realms. Tells us Ephesians chapter 6, verse 12, your leader who fell is not your enemy. Stop fighting against them. Forgive them. I'm going to do tell you something that you need to do, and this has helped me. You need to bless your former leader or whoever it was, whoever was in the church that hurt you, you need to bless them. I want right after this, and maybe you just need to pause this right now and you need to pray for them and say, God bless them, help them and really love them and really want the best for them. That will do so much healing for you, I promise. But sometimes you may be wrongfully seen as a failed leader or as an enemy. But what's worse is when you see them as your God. That's what's even worse than mistakenly seeing them as your enemy. Another kind of personal story, but this is a very public thing that's happening and coming out. Um, Well-known, probably the best known apologist, evangelist of the modern day named Ravi Zacharias he recently came out in just horrific things that I I really didn't believe for a long time when I just heard bits and pieces, but they finally came out with a full report. They did an investigation. Their organization, RZIM, did an investigation and found the sexually misconduct was true and just harmful things. And what's interesting that happened was while Ravi Zacharias was still alive, he just recently passed away last year, but while he was still alive and he had some of these lawsuits against him, he countersued. He sued this woman that actually turned out to be a victim. I mean, what does that do to your theology? I know this is rocking me. This is difficult. To see a leader that, I mean, Ravi Zacharias, I probably learned the most theologically from him and how to connect the head and the heart and how to give an answer to people and how to love people with with a caring answer. Because a lot of times when you answer somebody, you can come across really cold. I know I've done that. It's very difficult. You come across real cerebral. But Ravi had a way where he could come across and he seemed genuine. He seemed loving. And I believe that he was. But his teaching has had the most profound impact, even though I've never met him. I've never seen him even speak in person, but seen tons of videos, read portions of books and just read a bunch on him. 
and learn so much. So if a leader and teacher like Ravi can fail, what does that mean for all those that he's helped through his ministry? That's a question that I had. What what does that mean for those that have been so impacted? Maybe they've been saved through his ministry. Of course, it's through the gospel, but through Ravi giving the gospel, what does that mean for them? Well, I mean, to me, this is a this is a painful thing because of it involves somebody that that I looked up to theologically in the faith and, and just looked up to in terms of discipleship. But it's an easy answer in a sense because well, nothing changed. Those people that believed in the gospel were still saved. Ravi didn't save them. You're a leader that hurt you. Maybe you were baptized by them. Maybe they shared the gospel and you believed, or maybe they gave you an opportunity to step up and and serve in different areas. All those things were still good. Their sin was bad, but they sinful people can still do good things. And the things that happened to you, the things that happened to me, the things that we were able to grow with, with these spiritual leaders that maybe let us down, that maybe had a big failure, there was still good in that. And God was still in that even if God wasn't in their sin. Of course he wasn't. The next question I have is, should people still learn from his content or maybe other people's content? And I begin to think, and another, another way to, when you're, when you're studying things out and thinking the tough questions, you need to ask yourself very tough questions. You need to almost cross-examine yourself. And I begin to think about, man, he lived a duplicitous life. He lived a completely double life. I mean, if you haven't read the full story, I'm not going to go into tremendous detail because you can find it. Just do a search on it. You can find all that's out there. It's made public that Ravi Zacharias is accused of and that is being proven that he did. But he had the one of the most successful apologist evangelist ministries on the planet. Many countless people were saved through that ministry, through hearing the gospel. But on the flip side, he owned a few massage parlors that uh, did more than just massage. I mean, it was basically prostitution. Um, He also, the people he worked with in the massage parlors, the ones that he um, was part owner in and many others, he sexually assaulted them. And there's even reports of rape Um, just and I'm not going to go into the detail, but there's some horrific things. There's some things that you would say, there's no way. It's just impossible, but it really, really happened. So I begin to think about what about some of the heroes that we have in the Bible? What about Moses, who wrote the first five books of the Bible, who gave the law that like God gave to him to give the law? Um, he was also a murderer. Uh, David. King, one of the, the top kings in Israel. He is really considered the gold standard of the kings in Israel. We know, um, we've gone through it. You know, we, you've been following along this podcast, talking about leadership, tremendous things to learn about leadership through David. And he gave us the Psalms. Um, he was a great example in a lot of ways, but he had, he seduced a woman through his power and um, slept with her. He, got married to her, had a child with her, and then had her husband murdered. So what do we do with that? And then what about Peter, who publicly and privately denied even knowing who Jesus was? Not even some of the details, but he denied even knowing anything about Jesus, let alone personally knowing him and trusting in him for his salvation. 
but God restored him. But I think one of the the most striking examples is somebody named Solomon in the Bible. So King David's son, Solomon became king. He became king at a pretty young age. And Solomon asked for wisdom and God gave him wisdom more than anybody else saved Jesus. The most wise person did tremendous things, built an empire. They built a temple that was massive and exactly what God told him to build. But he had a harem of wives. He had multiple wives and he was a polygamist. But he also wrote the Song of Songs where we get, that is the one place in the Bible where we get the details about being a loving husband and about being a um, husband and a wife in a monogamous relationship with all the passion, with all the love, with all the caring, with all the respect, with all the admiration, everything that's in there. But he's the one that had these multiple wives. I mean, he lived a double life. Solomon lived a double life, just like Robbie Zacharias and just like so many people that are out there. And maybe like us, maybe you're listening to this and you're like, that's me. I, I live a double life. I, I, I completely live a double life. And I wanna talk about some things that you need to have. You need to have some boundaries in an organization. I know this, um, before I go into an organization from now on, I'm going to be asking some specific things about their bylaws. I want to know how their government is. How are they structured? Because that that helps with accountability. That's the point of it. And also, what are some of those personal boundaries? Not just organizationally, but personal boundaries. Like, for example, me and my wife. Um, if I'm texting anybody, I'm gonna we're gonna try to include each other, especially somebody of the opposite sex. We're gonna include that person in a text. So like we're going to include their spouse or I'm going to include my spouse. Um, and if it's somebody just the way it works out, I'm messaging or texting with that's not um, where they just didn't start in that text group or thread or whatever. My wife has all my passwords. She has my phone. I'm showing her my phone. I'm talking about the things that I'm talking about this person with. There is no hidden. That's the that's the danger is thinking that we that being hidden is OK. So why, why do leaders fail? So now we want to move on and talk about why do leaders fail and we can gain some insights from this to hopefully learn on how not to do that. And the first thing is that pride creeps in. Probably not a surprise, but pride creeps in and the heart rules over the head. And what happens is it gets you out of spiritual alignment. You might think, what does that mean? Well, you need to think about what we are and who we are. We are body, soul, and spirit. Our body is our physical body, and our soul is our mind, our will, and emotions. And our spirit is that identity piece of us. That's that thing in us that is spiritual that will last forever. But we are three in one, similar to God, because we are created in God's image. And 1 Thessalonians 5, 23 says that God has made us that three in one, body, soul, and spirit. And he's regenerating all of that to make us more like him to help us to be sanctified. And God created us to be dependent on him and everything else when it's in correct alignment goes in that way. So think about it this way, 
Matthew 5, 3, Jesus said, blessed are the poor in spirit for theirs is the kingdom of God. So when we are in a a state of dependency, we then are led by the spirit. Our soul, mind, will, and emotions follows and our body acts accordingly. So when we get out of spiritual alignment, our spirit is way in the back. Our spirit becomes the caboose instead of the conductor. And what happens is our body then, which craves, our body just lusts. That's just what it does. It doesn't think. Our, our body doesn't have a thinking portion of it. It just, it's primal. It just wants things and it goes after it. Somebody that's wise in the world, they'll be led by their soul. So they'll be smart and they'll want a bunch of things, right? They'll want to do things they shouldn't do, but they restrain themselves some. But eventually more and more of their body gets into play and eventually they'll be exposed. But God wants us to be led by the spirit. Listen to what it says in 1 Corinthians 6, 9 through 10. This is a warning to us. It says, do you not know that the wicked will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived, neither the sexual immorality, nor the idolaters, nor the adulterers, nor the men who submit or perform sexual acts, nor thieves, nor greedy, nor drunkards, nor verbal abusers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. So what happens when you hear that? When you hear that, if you don't go, I just need God. I just need to submit to Jesus. Jesus died on the cross to pay for all those sins because Paul goes on to say that that was you. That was just like us. That was like all of us. We were separated from God, but he paid the price for you and he died on the cross for your sin that you can be restored. And then he says, that's no longer your identity. That's no longer who you are. You might do some things and you might struggle with sin like we all do. But what he's talking about here in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, 9 through 10, he's saying this is their identity and they embrace it and they love it. This is their lifestyle. They embrace it and they love it. He's saying that is not who you are as a Christian. Christians aren't like that because Christians struggle with sin, yes, but they don't embrace it because that goes against the nature, the spirit that God has put in us. And the other thing to think about is that Satan tempts you with good things you actually want. Satan tempts you with good things you actually want. Genesis chapter three, verse six. So so when the woman saw that the tree was good for fruit and there was delight to the eyes and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise. She took some and she ate it and then she handed some to her husband and he ate it too. They were all out of out of alignment. She was not being led by the spirit. She was being led by her body. She was led by her body. And then she justified it by her mind and her soul. It's out of alignment. A leader can't be that way. The next thing is they lack accountability. So the first thing we talked about was that pride creeps in. And then the second thing is that they lack accountability. Proverbs 15, 22 says, plans fail for lack of counsel, but with many advisors, they succeed. Lack of accountability means we make decisions without talking to anybody. When you're going to that website alone, 
You're making a decision without any advisors, without anybody checking up on you. When you send that message and you know the intent, you know why you're doing it. When you do that, you're doing it with lack of advisors because you wouldn't do it if you told some godly people around you. And you definitely wouldn't do it if if your spouse was right there. So make sure you have plenty of advisors and you have to. So this is a two-way street. Accountability isn't just somebody bearing down on you, always checking up on you. That never works. That's only temporary. You can find ways to hide that. Accountability is two ways. You want somebody to help you so that you are then showing them. You are giving up passwords. You are allowing people access into your life. And you know, a good leader also can do this with their team. They can also invite questions. Have you ever had that kind of leader that they just never really invite any real questions to them where nobody can have any um, dissent at all? You know, dissent's good. Some division is a good thing because it pushes back a little bit. We need to have that in our lives. And the third thing, the final thing is they have a lack of vision. Maybe they had the vision at one point, but they lost it. Proverbs 29, 18 says, where there is no revelation, people cast off restraint. But blessed is the one who heeds wisdom instruction. So basically, they're failing to do what they were called to do. They maybe had a vision. They maybe at one point knew what they were supposed to do, but they stopped getting that revelation. They stopped getting that vision. And guess what? Look what it says. People cast off restraint. When you don't realize you're in a battle, you're going to lose every time because the enemy creeps from the inside. And another thing that happens when you lose vision is maybe you're just filling a job. Maybe you're just really good at what you do or you're just good enough. So you're just there. You've lost the passion. You've lost the why. You've lost the reason that you're really there. So we need a revelation from God to keep us on track. Sin has a multiplying effect, as we talked about in 1 Corinthians chapter 6. And I want to read this part to us. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 12 through 20. All things are lawful for me, but not all things are helpful. All things are lawful for me, but I will not be dominated by anything. Food is meant for the stomach and the stomach for food, and God will destroy both one with another. So he's saying you can't be led by the body because it just self-destructs on itself. The body is not meant for sexual immorality. It's not an excuse. You can't let yourself have that excuse because your body was not designed for that. Your body was not meant for that. You can't put diesel into a gasoline engine. It doesn't work that way. You're like, well, it's both, um, it's both fuel. No, it doesn't work that way. You have to do it God's way or you will self-destruct. Listen to what it says here. Jumping down to verse 15. Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ? Shall I then take a member of Christ and make it with a member of a prostitute? Never. Or do you not know that he who is joined to a prostitute becomes one body with her? For it is written, the two shall become one flesh. What he's saying is, when you have sexual relations with somebody, you become like you're married to them. That's what the Bible tells us. Society won't tell you that. Society will tell you, oh, it's fine. Whatever happens there stays there. God says it doesn't. 
And what's even worse, he says it gets inside of you. You think you left it over there, it got inside of you. But he is joined to the Lord, becomes one with him in the spirit. That's why he says in verse 18, flee from sexual immorality. Every other sin a person commits outside the body, but the sexual immorale person sins against his own body. Or do you not know that the body is the temple of the Holy Spirit within you? So we are called for a purpose. And we also have the responsibility for other people. We are responsible to God, but we are responsible for other people. We are connected to one another. So let's make sure that we keep our eyes on Jesus. And if there's anything in us, let us bring it to the light. Anything that you bring to the light will die. And the sin that you hide will only grow. been listening to Requip Ministries and thanks so much for listening and go ahead head on over to our website for more resources that's requip.org r-e-q-u-i-p.org and you can always connect with me on social media as well and until next time we hope you follow the command to always be prepared for action